Hello, and welcome to MedEd Thread, a Cleveland Clinic Education Institute podcast that explores the latest innovations in medical education and amplifies the tremendous work of our educators across the enterprise. Hi, welcome to part two of today's episode of MedEd Thread. I am your host, Dr. Tony Tizano, Director of Student Learner Health and Assistant Clinical Professor of Surgery here at Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're just joining us now, welcome. This is the second part of our discussion on health professions education preceptor development. And you can find the first part on MedEd Thread homepage. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Scott Upe, the Director of Education for Rehabilitation and Sports Therapy at Cleveland Clinic. Thank you, Tony. Also, I'd like to welcome Deborah Kangsinger, Physician Assistant and Director of Education for PA Services. Good morning, Tony. Thank you. And welcome Dr. Mari Nettle with the Doctorate of Physical Therapy and Education, Medical Director of the Center for Health Professions Education here to join us. Thanks, Tony. It's good to be here. I welcome you all. Today, our topic is professional development for health professions education preceptors. But before we get started, I'd like each of you to tell us just a little bit about yourself and what brought you to the Cleveland Clinic and your role here. Well, thank you. What brought me here to Cleveland Clinic is the reputation and all the resources it offers. I've been working here at the Cleveland Clinic 22 years. As a physical therapist, I still treat patients, but I oversee all the education for our rehabilitation department of over 1,000 therapists. Excellent. Deb? So I've been practicing clinically for 30 years, and I'm the director of education for PA services, which includes overseeing physician assistant students, helping with pre-PA shadowing experiences, and also helping training for new hire physician assistants or upskilling those who have already been here. What brought me here, funny enough, is that I did a rotation here as a student that many years ago and was offered a position during my rotation. Excellent. Mari, tell us about yourself. Thanks. I am a physical therapist by training. I've been a physical therapist for 20-some years and got into education very early in my career. I have been a clinical instructor, clinical preceptor. I have taught in the academic environment. And along the way, I've really enjoyed my role in education and took an interest in interprofessional education, interprofessional practice and that really was a driving force for me to accept a position here at the Cleveland Clinic in the Education Institute where I get to work with students and educators in a wide variety of professions that are part of the healthcare team. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So, Mari, let's start with you. You know, engagement is an important aspect of any student's education. How does one encourage and motivate students to become active participants in managing their learning? I think the obvious answer to that, of course, is to have the student plan their day, plan their week, set some goals that are measurable and really meaningful to the student. But also, I think that you have to proactively give them their options for what they can do when they have unscheduled time, when the plan doesn't go exactly the way that they expect it to go. They have to know where their boundaries are. Let them know what's on 
on the table. Be clear in what you expect from them and let them know where there's a little bit of wiggle room. And I think that most students will, once given that structure and those ideas for how they might use their time, they'll really thrive and make an educational experience that's meaningful and impactful for them. Scott, some ideas around engagement? I think passion. I was motivated by my clinical instructors when they had a lot of passion, and it just showed. It kind of rolled off them. And when I see a passionate preceptor, the student is engaged to kind of follow that and try to mirror that passion with their patient care. Boy, I can sure see that. I mean, you can be a bystander, hear someone who's passionate, and all of a sudden you're listening to what they have to say. So it engages you automatically. So uh, I also think creating a safe environment. So if the student immediately knows up early that this is a place where they could talk, they can make mistakes, they could ask questions, when they have that safe environment, they're more readily to be engaged. Boy, you know, that I think is a, an excellent point and one that is certainly in vogue now. How do you set the stage for being willing to receive feedback about yourself? Maybe we say something that just rubs somebody the wrong way and being in an environment where it's comfortable to say, well, I took exception to that or what have you. That really is an important step for a preceptor, I think. Any comment around that? I think at the beginning, my own experience is I'll let the student know that here's the day you're going to be. And as I see your performance, I may talk to them, like, how do you want to receive feedback? Is it later? Is it current? (laughs) Or maybe the next morning as we reflect over it? Because I'm going to give you positive feedback, but I'm also going to give you constructive feedback to improve your performance. I want to maybe understand how the student is receptive to that. Right, and where they like to get that, right then and there, or catch me when we step out of the room, or what have you. I mean, everyone is wired differently. Mari. Yeah, and I think sometimes new preceptors struggle a little bit with that because they haven't developed necessarily that sense of who they want to be as a teacher and what they want their relationship with the student to look like. They sometimes err too much on the side of friend and I'm just going to cheer you on rah rah without giving that constructive feedback that Scott mentioned. Or they want to assert their authority and become so much of an authority figure that they don't have that connection with the student and students struggle. It's not really beneficial to take either extreme when deciding on that relationship. So the preceptor is looking for balance. I mean, you've all indicated pretty much the same thing. So Deb, you know, each of us is granted the same 24 hours in a day and what we do with it is what we can make of it. With that in mind, what's your approach for planning daily, weekly, monthly experiences, and how do you ensure proper time management when precepting a student with so much to do? I think that's the million dollar question, you know, uh, with clinical productivity taking such a lead, it's becoming a challenge, you know, to answer this question, the preceptors of how to maintain a good teaching environment in a busy practice. So going back to the roots of understanding how the student learns and obtaining learning objectives early on can help you develop a plan. And 
if you're inpatient or outpatient, looking at the schedule, looking at your patient list early, sometimes picking out who the student's going to see or who you're going to see is a way to plan out on a day-by-day basis by looking at the patients or the schedule. I recently talked with one of our preceptors who had us a student in a surgery rotation, and they'd look at the patient list of surgeries for the week, and they'd let the student know what surgeries are going to be on. I wish I had this preceptor for myself when I was doing a rotation. But it gave the student an opportunity to read about the anatomy and read about the the procedures and set them up for success. Looking a little bit down the line, if you're able to manipulate your schedules a little bit, if you have that permission, you could maybe set up two patients for your first patient of the day and have the student start in one and you start in another and then maybe block the end of the day schedule so that you have time to meet with the student and go over things. Again, having a resource bank, so if you have downtime, you can go over case studies and utilize that, so developing a resource base to understand how to use your downtime. And then I think also setting limitations for the student. I think we've all had that student that spends a day on writing one note or They're in a room two hours with a 15-minute patient. So it's letting them know, hey, I want you to go in and get this history. You have 10 minutes, and then I'm going to come into the room. So setting some limitations for the students so they understand will help them better manage their time because they're in on this too, and they own some of the time management as well. Boy, excellent points. And I imagine that students are looking at you to see how do you manage your time? Because I'm going to be doing this on my own and how can I possibly get it all done? So the way in which you conduct that process for yourselves is another teaching point. Absolutely, Tony. And a way to add on that is be a teammate with the student learner. So if you go in with a patient, maybe say, while you're getting the history, I'm going to start typing the note. And then maybe you'll get up and watch them observe the physical exam after that, or they're watching you. But be a teammate on some things. You know, team up with them as a learning project. Which builds some efficiencies into the way you conduct the day. Mari. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that as part of this conversation, we have to acknowledge that when the student's first starting out, sometimes they are going to take a little bit longer to do something that's going to take you 15 minutes, and that's not wrong. There's an increased cognitive demand on the student when they're just starting out, and they have to think about things that are just so automatic for you that you have to accommodate that they're going to take longer, but then when you brought up, Deb, that teammate approach. Allow them time for that cognitive load, and maybe they're only interacting with every other patient. You're giving them that time in between patients while you're seeing somebody else where they're catching up, they're processing, and really doing that cognitive work. And then as you work over time, you can set goals with them to maybe take a a larger chunk of your caseload under their responsibilities for the day. But I don't think we can expect the student to start out being efficient just because of that cognitive load piece. No, that's absolutely true. And again, every student, knowing if you have a beginner student, that maybe they'll spend more shadowing time in the early phases of that. Or if you have someone in more of a transitional mode where they've been in clinic for a while and they can move on to more complex patients or see more patients. And you made an excellent point about writing notes because there might be downtime. And during that downtime, that might be a good time to assign them to maybe look up some case studies or investigate some questions that they had, letting them be a self-learner. So learning how to utilize the downtime. And then 
incorporating them, you mentioned we all have the same 24-7 day, incorporating them in the entire day that you have. I would take students with me if I had a meeting, if you go to Grand Rounds, take the student with you, don't leave them behind. Oh, I think those are all good points. So Scott, we have talked a little bit before about feedback, and I see it as a very essential component in anyone's education. How do you provide this in the most constructive manner possible when precepting a student? Well, Mari said something with her question on engagement that made me think of a phrase, don't be the sage on the stage, be the guide by the side. Because I don't want to be like the authoritarian is what made me think of that. And the, the concept of being the guide is I'm on your side here to help our patient care. If I see a safety issue, I may need to intervene at that moment. Sure. This, and we're going to role play maybe before we go into the room if we're doing a new technique. Let's practice. Tell me and show me how you're going to do this technique before we go into the patient room. Just practice it so you're comfortable. And if I see errors, it's really easy to give feedback then. In front of the patient, it's a little more challenging unless I see a safety issue. But if it's a performance issue, then let's talk about how we're going to communicate that later. And I think giving time, one of the resources we have at the Cleveland Clinic is we allow our preceptors to have one hour a week dedicated to teaching. So if they have a full patient load, within that 40-hour week, we're giving you one hour to kind of have feedback time. So it's built in. So we're not just having the student be a machine or, you know, an employee. So giving time to have that feedback is important and establishing when that's going to be. And going back to the earlier question, is it going to be in the morning, afternoon, the end of the week, lunchtime? Just make it a structured time, though, so we can have that feedback. Well said, Scott. So that being said, let's flip that around. What are the opportunities for students to provide some level of feedback, constructive or otherwise, to their preceptors? I look at that as a two-part question. So when we talk about feedback, we have the formative phase that you're doing. It's ongoing. It's planned. It's not embarrassing in front of the patient, but you let them know we're going to do this, as was mentioned, and, and then we're going to talk about it. And that they understand this is part of their learning, that they find where gaps are in their knowledge and that they have an opportunity to improve upon that. If you don't provide them with this feedback, then they might self-regulate themselves and develop images of their competency that aren't accurate. So that being said, there's also the summative, which is the plan, the, the evaluation you turn in at the end. And I think too often people lean on that. You know, that's the time to talk to students. So what Scott said is having every day having times to check in with the student and give feedback or, you know, after a patient or a procedure. But that's a two-way street in answer to your question. The students also, could you can ask them, did they have any other questions? Was this helpful? You know, is there something else I can do differently to help you learn? So that's also a time for you to probe them for information. Is there a formal process for doing that where students can give feedback to their preceptor on what they perceive their performance to be? Yes, there are. Oftentimes the schools are asking the students to fill out forms to talk about, you know, how was your experience on this clinical rotation? How was your experience with this preceptor? We have some assessments here at Cleveland Clinic that we automatically assign to the students to respond to surveys. But I think we have to be aware that students are not always comfortable giving feedback to 
the preceptor. So you have to invite it in a way almost, I think that they don't realize they're giving you feedback. Like Deb said, when you ask, was that helpful? Or what do you need? If, if I'm giving the student feedback and say, you're supposed to do XYZ procedure 15 times independently in a day was the goal that you set. And it's something very measurable. And I can look at them and their performance and say, you're only getting five and we have to bridge that gap between five and the goal of 15 that we set, what would help you? That may stimulate them to say, well, it would help me if you did X, Y, and Z, but you're making it about their concrete goal rather than just saying, hey, give me feedback. By the way, you know that I'm sending an assessment to your school when we're done because that's what's in their mind. They're afraid to say something back. Of course, we all say anonymous survey, but students rarely believe it. And they say, you know, I'm going to be looking for a reference from this individual. I don't want to say anything that they're not going to like. But, you know, we are all hungry for constructive criticism, just like anybody. Scott, you were about to say something before. Did I, did I miss that? Deb said earlier the safety zone of, you know, making sure I'm giving the student the ability to share something with me on my performance and they know there's not going to be any repercussions. Setting the stage and allowing time. Yeah. And there's resources for newer preceptors. It's an art that they have to develop and feel comfortable with. But there's many different styles of giving feedback. And there's resources like the one-minute preceptor or something that's been very successful and embedded with the Cleveland Clinic is an ask-tell-ask method. And these are available if people wanted to go online and look these up. There's all kinds of resources available to walk them through how to manage this feedback style to be more successful. Excellent. Thank you for that. So Mari, you know, what tips do you have for working with underperforming students or conversely, working with the high achiever or advanced learners? I mean, you might have both of those in the same group of students that you're working with. How do you balance your approach for them? Sure. As you're preparing for the student to come on site and you're becoming familiar with their academic program and thinking if maybe you've had students before, thinking back about your experience as a student, you have an expectation of what that student's experience is going to be like. But if they fall outside of that, as you say, either an underperformer or an overachiever, both of those situations are really challenging, even for an experienced preceptor. With underperforming students, I think the first thing that you need to do is make sure that the student is getting the feedback that they know where their performance is and where you would expect it to be so that maybe the problem is just that they didn't understand the expectation. Once you're sure that they're clear on that expectation, then I again encourage prompt communication with the school if you think that there is potential that the student might not come up to par with their performance. You can establish a learning contract to make sure that they're really understanding what the expectation is and they're able to make sure that you understand what it is that would be helpful for them to improve their performance. When 
You have an advanced student, on the other hand, there's many different strategies that you could take. You could set up a challenging scenario, even if it's challenging them by your questioning. After they do something and they do it well, ask them, how else could you do that? Or what would you do if this had happened instead of that? And have them really think about different ways that they would perform that skill. What's important to me is that you remember that the student is here to learn and you don't just look at them and say, well, they're doing a good job and you assign them the load of another staff member and treat them as another member of the staff. To some extent, you're going to do that, but you have to make sure that they're still getting the support and they're still learning even though they're an advanced learner. Boy, those are some great concrete ways to approach that. Any other thoughts around that? With the underperforming, sometimes the complexity of this patient needs to be decreased, allowed to build up that confidence. And on the other end, for the higher end, maybe the complexity of the patient can be increased because they're able to take that on. And I usually give the higher performer, if they have interest in special areas, observing surgery, watching a special technique, we will allow those observation times because they're meeting the needs. Whereas the underperforming, student, we may need to give more patient care time or dedicated one-on-one supervision time to help them build up that skill level. And maybe not as much an underperformer, but a beginner, more novice student or a student from a different profession. A lot of people are hesitant to take extra students on their team, but it's an opportunity to take someone who's maybe at a higher level that you have, you know, residents or, or fellows or medical students and have them be a teacher for another profession, such as a physician assistant or a nurse or that on the team. So, you know, reaching out and embracing this interprofessional education model too is a way to match up learners because there's three components as far as students go. There's the school, the preceptor, and the student themselves. And we should never dismiss the student as a resource for other students. Boy, those are excellent points. And I like the way we covered that because there are some really concrete things that preceptors can use to their benefit and to the student's benefit. But each of you in your comments, you are always reflecting and sensitive to each of those individual students as individuals. And that's how you tailor your precepting. Very impressive. So other things that I may have missed or something you want to bring up that I've circumnavigated some way or another. I guess I would go back to what you just said about individualizing how you work with a student. And I would encourage preceptors to keep an open mind and not be tied to either how they were taught or how they learn and tailor the experience to what's going to help develop the student that you're working with right now. Yeah, and I was going to add always use unconditional, you know, positive regard for your student. Just like we do with our patients, the student kind of parallels the patient in that regard. Well said. Deb, final word? I'll end on a a saying then, just as Scott put in one, in one of our modules, there's a proverb in there that it's the oats that draws the cart, not the horse. So to try to keep that in mind. Like it. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Deb and and Mari. This has been a great podcast. To our listeners, thank you very much for joining, and we'll see you on our next podcast. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. This concludes this episode of MedEd Thread, a Cleveland Clinic Education Institute podcast. Be sure to subscribe to hear new episodes via iTunes, Google Play, 
SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to MedEd Thread, and please join us again soon.